Have you ever had someone who your first impression was very different than when you came to know them? There was a guy, uh, at my old job, I used to uh, be a salesperson, and I, I sold a lot over the phone, worked with, the, with, with clients over the phone. So there was one client I'd been working with for probably a year, year and a half. I, I, he was one of my big clients, so I talked to him almost every day. Finally, I got a chance to meet him, and he, was, he looked so different and, and acted so different than what was in my mind's eye. You know what I'm saying? And it was one of those things where I'm, I'm having lunch with him and I'm talking with him and I, I just, it's like messing with my brain because I'm like, this is him, but it's not him, you know? <laughs> and I think Jesus can be that way. Jesus, as you look and really see who he is, he's going to confound your expectations. He's going to be different than you probably grew up thinking of him as. Uh, maybe some of us grew up with this picture of Jesus here that you see uh, on a lot of people's walls, on Bibles. Often it's in felt. Sometimes the highlights there, you know, will glow in the, in the dark. Maybe Jesus isn't really a real person to you. Maybe he's kind of almost like a plastic person. Uh, a, uh, an action figure, if you will. You know, he's not really real. He's just kind of like the superheroes you read about as a kid. But not a real person. Maybe he is the, the gentle Jesus with the lamb and kind of purple coloring and there we go but we have a lot of ideas about jesus that may not be accurate you know society tells us that he was a weak passive man who spoke in monotone and said strange things you know blessed are those who doth dwell in the you know what i'm saying just weak and passive had flowers in his hair, kind of wrung his hands. Is this working now? One, two, one, two. There we go. Okay. Wander around a little. Uh, on the screen, I'm going to give you a couple options here. What, what more matches your picture of Jesus? Is it this? You are my friend. You know, like, I, I appreciate Mr. Rogers. I don't mean to... I, he helped my self-esteem, I'm sure, as a kid. I watched him, like, constantly. But I don't think that's what Jesus was. And I think that's a picture some people have of Jesus. Or was Jesus more like this? I love that. You know, I think Jesus was more like Braveheart than Mr. Rogers. Braveheart stood up against oppression. He took a strong stand. He, at one point in the movie, he says, I'm going to pick a fight. And Jesus really did that. He came to pick a fight. He came to pick a fight against religious hypocrisy. He came to pick a fight against Satan's strongholds in our lives. He came to pick a fight with the kingdoms of this world and to establish an eternal kingdom that could never be destroyed. I really believe you're going to see in this series, Jesus was not just a weak, passive man, but he was a powerful, intense man who was worth following because he was so amazing. He's a powerful man. He's a man's man. And my challenge to you, if you're visiting with us today or, or if, you're, if you're new to the group here, uh, start reading the book of John. The book of John is written by one of Jesus' best friends, and, and you just see in that book so much of his character and who he was. 
Just read it a little bit every day and you'll be amazed at how you understand and come to, to know more about Jesus. And, and then get with some of the other folks here in the church and ask them to show you, hey, can you show me some of the, these passages that, that Brian's talking about, about Jesus? Because I'm just going to kind of refer lightly to a few things that would be great for you to study further on your own. But keep coming back. I really believe in this series you're going to see a lot more about Jesus and how he had true grit. Jesus had true grit. At one point in the Bible, he fasted for 40 days. Have you ever gone without food for like one meal? And you're, you're angry and you're irritated and you, you, you feel weak and you're going to pass out because you just haven't eaten in eight hours. You know, Jesus fasted 40 days. That takes some true grit. Jesus was constantly taking on the establishment. He was going against the religious leaders of his day that, that were Pharisee, the Pharisees, that were hypocrites. And, and to their face, he said, he said things like, you guys are a bunch of snakes. You guys are like graves that look good on the outside. They're whitewashed and pretty, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and nothing good. That's who you guys are. I mean, he took them on. There's one story in the Bible where uh, they had a law where you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath, and so they, they criticized Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. So at one point, they, he's there in the synagogue, or, or he's there, uh, and the, the religious leaders are around, and they're looking to see if he's going to heal this guy, because this guy comes in and his hand is shriveled. And Jesus, it says he looked around at them in anger, because he knew it was in their hearts. And he has the guy stand up in front of them all, and then stretch out your hand. You know, he just takes them on. Not afraid, doesn't back down at all. There's one point where the crowd wants to kill Jesus. So they take him to the cli- this cliff to throw him off the cliff. And the Bible says he walked right through the crowd. There's another story where they finally do come to take him the night of his betrayal. And if he was just this gentle guy with flowers in his hair and the sheep, why did they go with a whole mob armed with clubs? I mean, it's a mob of people to take one guy. And I love what it says in John, you might have not noticed this before, but in John 18 it says, when he said, they say, we're looking for Jesus, and when he says, when he said, I am he, it says they all drew back and fell to the ground. You know, this mob comes to take him, he says, I'm the man, and they just fall down, because they're so just blown away by him. And I like what he says next, he says, I'm the one you want, let these guys go. Haven't you seen that in like every movie? I'm the one you want. Let them go. You know, that was Jesus. He had true grit. Are you with me? He was awesome. He scared the demons away. Every time you see him interact with demon-possessed people or with a demon, everybody else is scared to death of these people. There's one guy that it says they couldn't contain him with chains. They couldn't contain him with rope. The prisons wouldn't hold him. He was just so wild and so consumed by this demon. And, 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 and I mean, wouldn't you be afraid of a guy like that? I would, but Jesus walks right up to these guys and he casts the demons out. Get out of him! And then the demons flee. Or sometimes even they just come into the same area and the demons start shrieking. Why? What do you want with us, Jesus? Leave us alone! You're not supposed to torture us yet! They're so afraid of him. Jesus had so much power. I love the story of him calming the storm. You know, Jesus was taking a nap. Uh, and I don't know why he was taking that. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe he was tired from pouring himself out, healing people, preaching the word. So tired, he's sleeping in the middle of this huge storm on the lake. And so the, the, his, his disciples, his followers are so afraid they're going to drown. And they wake him up. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And he gets up and he, it says, the Bible says he rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. 
trying to get some sleep here. Actually, it doesn't say that, but that's my own little paraphrase. But you know, and, and they marvel. They go, who is this guy? Even the, the wind and the waves submit to him. And in uh, John 7... Oh, actually, I want to show you this verse. You, you, you guys are all there, right? John 7. Let me turn there. John 7. Look at this verse, though, on the screen before we turn there. This is from Revelation. It says, His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Is that not awesome? This is the picture of Jesus. The armies of heaven following him, riding on white horses. He was so powerful, so awesome. Think of the most charismatic, most impressive person you've ever known personally. Or who, who you know, somebody you really like to be around that, that, that you really feel inspired by. They can't compare to the person of Jesus. And in, uh, in John 7, it says in verse 25, At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. And it goes on. They're kind of deliberating about this. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. The chief priests, then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. Who are the temple guards? I picture these as kind of the goons. You know, the guys that... that, that the the Pharisees and, and the guys in charge send out to do their dirty work. You know, go arrest this guy. You know, you picture, you know, one of those mobster movies. You know, those guys. That, I want you guys to go take care of it. Take care of him for me. Okay, so he sends them out and they, they go to arrest him. But then they, they go and they listen to him. Uh, and what ends up happening is, verse 45, it says, Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. You know, I love that he impressed the tough guys. You know, they said no one has ever spoken like him. He was one of a kind. He was a trailblazer. And that's the title of the lesson today. Trailblazer. Jesus was a trailblazer. He brought a new kind of kingdom. One that was spiritual. One that was not of this world. One that was of the heart and the soul. He brought a new level of connection to God. Up until this point, up until the point Jesus came, people prayed to God as the creator God. The God that made all things. They worshipped him. But Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus was the first one to call God Father and to teach us to be able to have that kind of connection with God as our Father. Jesus brought a new level of obedience. He says before, here was, here was what it meant to follow God. This is what I tell you. It's all about what's in your heart. It's not just about what you do. It's about what's in your heart. One example is he says, you know that it says, it's written, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's what he did. He took it deeper. He took it to a heart level. He brought a new way of walking with God. 
He brought a new level of love. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. A whole new level of love that Jesus showed. He brought a new status to women. You know, up until this point, uh, women didn't have the significance that they should have had in God's eyes. And, and, and Jesus has women followers. He's even supported financially by women. Women were prominent in the early church. He, he elevates women. He brought a new message for all people, for all nations, for all cultures. See, that was so unique in his time. People were so segregated, so divided, so, so about their own people. They were so tribal. And yet Jesus came to bring the kingdom to all nations. A few verses I want to throw on your screen here. Number one, Jesus has blazed a trail. Jesus has blazed a trail. Hebrews 10.20 says, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. You know, Jesus brought a new and living way. Those of us who are members of the church, we know this verse. A little farther, he says, let's consider how we may spur one another on. Let's keep going on the, on the path we're on. Let's not give up meeting together. Why? Because he has opened this new and life-giving way. Jesus has gone before us. He blazed the trail. Here it says he's destroyed the barrier, the, the barriers between people. In this case, he's talking about Jew and Gentile. But he's talking about all races, all people, all cultures. He's, de- he's demolished those barriers. And the kingdom is meant to be one for all people, for all languages, for all time. And, and look around this room. Like, really look around. Like, not just metaphorically, but actually look around. I mean, you see all kinds of different people. Do, are, there, are there certain groups we need to reach more of? Sure, but I think this is awesome. There's a lot of churches on Sunday that it's only one type of people there. And yet, the true Christianity is for all people. He's destroyed these barriers. We wouldn't hang together if it wasn't for the kingdom, probably. And, 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 and that's awesome. That's Jesus, because he was a trailblazer. He, we love because he first loved us. He did the hard part of going first. Turn to Hebrews 12 with me. Hebrews 12. When I was a kid, we uh, went on a hiking trip, and it was one of those two-day hikes, two or three-day, I can't remember if it was two or three-day, but anyway, it's one of those where you backpack in, and you start early in the morning, backpack all day, then get to your spot and, and, and set a tent, and then go fishing the next day, and, and stay, you know, and backpack out. So it was, a, it was a big, long camping trip. It was this place in Colorado called the Eagle's Nest. Does that sound cool? And uh, we were looking at the trail, the different trails, and uh, I was in high school. There was a, some, some old, a couple older guys who were kind of leading us. And on the, on the trail map, there was all these different trails that led to the top that kind of went around this way or around this way. And there was a river that kind of came down through the middle. And I don't know whose decision it was, but we decided, let's just go along the river. Let's just blaze our own trail along the river and follow that up. It, you know, it looks way shorter. And I'm telling you, it was so hard because, you know, there, there's no trail to follow. 
You're just trying to go along the river, but sometimes you just get stuck. And it's like, I, there's no way to get past this. And so you've got to go off this way and try to find a way around. And, we're, you know, we're hacking through underbrush and we're trying to, you know, not die. And, you know, you're climbing up steep things with the backpack on your back. And it was crazy. Blazing a trail is hard work. To be a trailblazer is to step knowingly into dangerous territory, to venture into the unknown, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Star Trek fans. You know, I'm studying, I'm studying uh, California history right now. Not because I want to, but because my kids are. And you know, I have three kids, and, and so their homework kind of becomes your homework, you know. But it's, it's cool. I, I'm, I'm really into this stuff. I'm like, man, this stuff is wasted on the young. This is good stuff. <laughs> I've got a, a fifth grader, a third grader, and a first grader. So by the time my first grader gets to fifth grade, I'm going to go on, uh, so, you know, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Because by that point, I will have it all down. But, but you know, studying these men, these wild men that blazed trails in through the wild here into the West. I mean, these were gritty guys. They faced real trials and real hardships. It was real wilderness. Across the street here, we have a a place called Wilderness Park. And and it's really cool. But if you get lost, just keep walking for about five minutes and you'll run into somebody's backyard. It's not real wilderness. But if you've ever been in the real wilderness, it's scary stuff. And that's what Jesus has done. He's gone before us. He's a trailblazer. Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, your, your translation that you're reading probably says the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the 2010 NIV version right here. I got it off the internet. It says the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I like authors, but pioneers are really more gritty. Yeah, he, Jesus was a pioneer. He's the first one. He's the whole reason we're doing what we're doing. He's done the hard work. He's gone before us. Not only was he the first, he did it perfectly. And this is faith. It's our faith. It's it's a dangerous place. Faith is is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. We don't have it yet. It's not there yet. We're operating on faith, and he's gone before us. Uh, Just to tell you another story, there was a friend of mine who was a rock climber. He, He enjoyed climbing rocks. George Sowards, Clay knows him. He took me climbing about ten times or something. And... uh you know, it was fun. We would do what's called top roping. And top roping is where you have a harness around you and then you have your, the rope tied in and it goes up to the top of this sheer face of rock, you know, probably as high as the ceiling. And then it goes to a hook and then comes down and then George has the end, other end of the rope on a, on a belay and he's, he's going like this. And so as you climb, he's taking up the tension. Are you with me? So you're climbing and the rope's up above you and so you're climbing and, and if you fall, you only fall a few feet because he's right there to catch you. And uh, it was fun. We did a lot of different routes and I got pretty good. I got to where I could climb a, I could climb a 510, which is pretty, pretty, pretty tough. 
And so then I decided I would try lead climbing. And lead climbing is different. Uh, the, the picture of this face of, of rock that goes from here to the ceiling. And then along the rock, every, I don't know, 10 feet or so, how, how, how close are they? Clips? Clay? Maybe every 10 feet? So, something, something, you know, every little bit, you know, you're climbing for a while and then there's another clip. So as you're, when you're lead climbing, the rope doesn't go up to the top and back down. It goes behind you. And so you climb up the rock and then when you get to a clip, you take your rope and you kind of clip it in and then you're like, okay. And then you climb some more until you get to the next clip and then you take your rope and clip it in. So if you fall, you fall all the way back to the last clip and, and pa- past that because you have all the, 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 tension that has gone behind you. Are you with me there? And so lead climbing was a whole different thing. I mean, I tried it one time and this was a 5'8", so it was much easier than I, my skill level. And I was just terrified. It was so much different mentally because I was leading the way. And, and you know, I think that's the way it is with Jesus is that he has done the hard work. He's leading us. We, we're not trying to lead ourselves. We have him to follow. We have, we have support. If we fall, we just fall a little bit because he's done the hard work. He's gone ahead of us. He's the one. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, Colossians 1:18 says. He's already gone to the dead. He's already risen from the dead. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He's gone ahead of us into heaven and he's preparing a place for us. Let's talk about that for a minute, this, this road to heaven. Here's something Jesus said in Matthew 7. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This trail that Jesus cleared, he cleared a trail, he blazed a trail, but it's a rough trail. It's not an easy road. He says it's a narrow gate. There's a wide, easy trail that leads to destruction. But it's a narrow gate that leads to life. And only a few find it. You've got to be striving for it. You've got to be looking for it to find it. And only a few find it. You know, this isn't something that I made up or that the church is saying. This is something Jesus said. He's the trailblazer and he says it's a narrow road. So I think we've got to take him at his word. And if you continue on reading in, this, in the scripture, and I encourage you to, you see that there will be a lot of people on the day of judgment who will be surprised. They will be like, whoa, Jesus, I mean, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Didn't I go to church? I mean, what do you mean? And Jesus says, I never knew you. And so we've got to make sure we, we, we understand he's blazed a trail and that's the trail. And it's a narrow trail, and it's a difficult trail. It's hard. It's hard work. I climbed a, a, a peak in, as a college student in Colorado called Long's Peak. And this is a, over 14,000, one of the mountains in Colorado that's over 14,000 feet. And it's one of these things where you start before dawn, and you hike all day, and then, you know, midday or so you get to this. This is called the Boulder Field. And, and this is... You know, as far as you can see, just these huge boulders, it's really bizarre. It looks like another planet or something because it's above the tree line, so there's no, no foliage. It's just these huge rocks. And, and this is a rough trail. There's no easy trail through here. You've got to climb over all these boulders. You can kind of see these people. And I don't know if you can tell, but these are little people up there at the top. This is called the keyhole. And when you get to the top, 
you, you come through here and you kind of go to the left and there's this ledge that you go across. And then you go up this huge, another huge ascent. And I remember doing this. Uh, Jay Kelly, my friend and I, are climbing together up, up this. After we made it through the boulder field, we made it through the keyhole and we're climbing up this ascent. And it's kind of steep. And you're kind of climbing with your hands and your feet. It's not one where you use a rope or anything, but it's, it's still kind of steep and hard work. And, and, you know, you're out of breath and you feel like you're going to pass out. And, and, and Jay and I are like, oh, this is what hell is going to feel like. <laughs> we're, and and you're, you're worried because if you, you start to feel kind of lightheaded and, and you realize if you pass out and lose your grip and you fall backwards, it's just... It's this long, you know, you're just going to roll down and then there's a sheer drop off of, you know, thousands of feet. And a couple people die every year on this trail. Uh, 52 people have died. I, I looked it up uh, on this clip, on this uh, thing. So we took our whole campus ministry on it. Um, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully none of them died. So that was good. But about 40 people started and about eight or so made it to the summit because it was a hard road. Uh, and and I, I was so proud that I made it to the summit so I can tell you guys the story. I probably wouldn't tell you the story if I hadn't made it. But, but the fact that it was difficult made it that much more awesome. You know what I mean? The, the, making it to the summit, it was like the best feeling. It was this euphoric feeling. Why do people do stuff like this? I mean, this is nothing compared to what people do. You know what I'm saying? As far as climbing Everest and all these kinds of things that people do. Why do they do it? It's so hard. Because it, it, it's glorious. It's an adventure. It, it's exciting. That is the Christian life. It's meant to be difficult because it's worth it. I mean, you get to heaven. Won't it be so worth it? The thing about this is then you've got to go back down. Once you're to heaven, it's like you're there. And it's a hard road. It's a tough trail, but it's worth it. And he's gone ahead of us. He's done the hard work. It's so worth it to make it to the summit. I think for the singles, it's a rough road. You know, keeping yourself pure uh, in, in a world that is not pure at all. You know, standing up for purity. Uh, you know, I remember telling someone at, at, at my uh, work that, that my wife and I had had not had sex before we got married, and, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't just like out of the blue. I mean, we were having a conversation. <laughs> hey, by the way. But, but he was so, he was like, what? You didn't? You know, like, man, you gotta, you gotta test drive the car before you buy it. I mean, it's crazy. You know, and that's the world we're in. It's like, try it before you buy it, you know. I mean, and that is, that is, you know, you guys stand out in a lost world. And it, it, it's tough. It's not easy for the students. I, I think it's really hard to be a disciple in high school. I was a, a Christian in high school my senior year. And that was the hardest year of my Christian life by far. Because you're in this world. You're in this environment. That's, it, it might as, the high school might as well be the whole universe. Do you know what I mean? It's like the popular people are, 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 are up there with the you know, the, the, the stars of Hollywood or something. It's like this little microcosm, and it's so hard to be a disciple in that environment, but, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. And I think we've got to not take pride in an in a, in a unrighteous way, but take pride in a, in, a, in a righteous way that, hey, we're a part of something that's, that's awesome. That, that, that We've we got to be gritty people. This is, a, this is a cool trail. This is an adventurous trail we're on. And it's worth it in the end. He's calling you to follow this is the second point he's calling you to follow he jesus has blazed a trail and he's calling you to follow 
Jesus wants everyone on earth to be given the option to become his follower. You're faced with a choice today. Will you be a follower of Jesus or not? You can't say, well, I don't want to make a decision. That is a decision. It's either you follow him or you don't. And, and, and you see when you study the scriptures, that's who Jesus was. He was constantly calling people to follow him. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What does Jesus want everyone on earth to become? Disciples. A disciple is a follower. That's his goal, is for as many people on this planet as possible to become his follower. To become his follower. The word, I did a word search on follow, and uh, it was in the Bible 86 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just over and over and over again, this idea of following Jesus, of being his follower, of who his followers were. And the word disciple is 270 times in the New Testament. You know, this is what Christianity is. It's to follow on that trail that he blazed. I think Christianity in our world today has become so void of, of meaning. And, and it kind of just, it, it's just a flavor of religion versus I'm following this radical revolutionary hero. I'm putting his teachings into practice in my life. I'm living by his way. That's what real Christianity is. That's what it really means to follow him. You're walking on the same trail he blazed. You've got his commitment, his love, his passion, his desire to please God. You're carrying out his purposes in your life. You're walking on that same trail that he blazed in his footsteps. The Bible says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Must walk as Jesus did. It doesn't work otherwise. You know, if you just try to have a little bit of God or a little bit of religion, or I'm going to follow Jesus a little bit, it doesn't work. Jesus says, you must give up everything if you want to be my follower. Luke 14, 33. Why does he do that? Because he knows that's the, the road is that hard. It's that, it, it's that cha- he challenges us. He says, I want your all. I want your very best. And there, it, it's not because he's down on us. It's because he wants to call the best out of us. Don't you love a coach that says, I want your very best? Nobody wants a coach that's like, well, just try a little bit, guys. You know, if we win or lose, it's all how you play the game. Let's just have fun. Nobody wants to be on that team. You want, to be the, you want the coach who's telling you what to eat and what to drink and, you know, how hard to work and, and just calling the best out of you. That's who Jesus was. He called men to follow him over and over again. That's, the, that's the, the, the way he lived his ministry. And what was the disciples' response? You know, there, there's different times where he calls people to follow. One example is where he's, the, the, the men are in the boat with their father, learning how to fish, learning the family trade. And he says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And it says, without delay, they left their boats. They left their father. They went and followed Jesus. You know, picture that for a minute. Picture you're that guy, and, and here's your dad. He's teaching you the family business. Here's the other hired men, and, you, and you, you get out of the boat, and you leave all that. I mean, I'm sure dad was not fired up. 
I'm sure dad was like, where are you going? And yet they, they made this radical decision. I'm leaving my nets. I'm leaving this. I'm, I'm venturing off on this adventure to follow Jesus. And that's what he calls us to. A radical decision to follow him into fishing for men. To follow him into suffering for your faith. Follow him into intimacy with God. Following him into eternity. It's this radical decision to step out on faith. Take a risk and follow Jesus. And it always does require risk. There's a quote from John Eldridge who wrote Wild at Heart. He says, when it comes to living and loving, what's required is a willingness to jump in with both feet and be creative as you go. That's really what the Christian life requires. You've got to jump off. And, 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 you know, there, there are these steps in your life where you go, God, you better come through for me here. I'm taking a risk. Uh, I, I, when my, my family was living in San Diego for a while, I was still in Denver as a student, and I came out to visit them. And they, they, we all went to this beach called, I think it was Ocean Beach, but anyway, it was in San Diego, and there was this place where people would jump off these cliffs into the water. And my sister had done this before, so she wanted us to do this. And, and so we, we get to the cliff, and she just goes jumping right off into the water. And it was, it was a big cliff. I mean, I, I'm guessing it was about as, as high as the ceiling. I mean, you were in the air for seconds. You know, Wah! And she goes first, and she's five years younger than me. And she's just, and, and so I'm like... I went to the edge, I kind of looked over, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I kind of deliberated for a minute, I'm like, okay, I got, just got to go for it. So I just backed up where I couldn't see the water, and then just kind of went, <laughs> you know, without looking down. And then I'm in the air, ah! And my roommate uh, in college had come out to visit with me, and, and he made the mistake of going to the edge, and I had already gone down. So I'm looking back up at him, and I could see him, he gets to the edge, and he's just kind of like this, and then he'd be like... And he never did jump. He just could not get himself to do it. Where I think, I think spiritually, sometimes you just got to jump in. You know, you just got to go for it. You can't, you can't deliberate too long. You got to take a risk. And, and, and you know, God is going to come through. He always blesses that. He always blesses when we take a risk. What, what am I talking about as far as taking a risk? Practically, surrendering your whole self to God. Just saying, God, I surrender. My finances, my, my, my talents, my schedule, my you know, view of the world. I surrender to you. I want to I see things the way you see, God. I surrender to you. Do whatever you want in my life, God. Making that decision. If you've never made that decision, that is what it means to be a disciple. That you give up everything. That you surrender to God. Forgiving and letting go of past hurts, of, of bitterness. That is a tough thing for somebody who's... Got that in deep. Saying, this person hurt me, and yet I'm going to surrender that to God. I'm not going to try to get back at them. I entrust that to God, and God will take care of it. That, that's a risk. That's hard. Inviting someone to church that intimidates you. That's a challenge sometimes. It's a risk. What, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? Are they going to make fun of me? You know, it's just, it's, it's not a huge risk, but it's a little risk. You know, like, I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to ask this person. Asking your friend to study the Bible. Or, or asking a family member to, pray, member to pray together. Confronting issues you should be confronting in yourself or in others. It's a risk. 
You've got to step out on faith to do it. To put your heart out there for someone. To, to get vulnerable about what's really going on in your life. To take radical steps in dealing with sin. To do something where only God can rescue you from the situation. That's what it means to live on by faith. That's what it means to walk on this trail, to follow Him. It takes risk. If you're not taking risks, you're probably not on the trail. If your life has got no danger, then you're, you're probably not living it Jesus' way. And, and I'm talking to myself here, you know, because there's part of me that I just want Christianity to be easy and comfortable and, you know, everything goes my way and nothing's hard and, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? I want to do the right thing and then I do the right thing and then everything's great. But that's not the world we're in. We're in a battle. We're in a, a war. It takes being a person of true grit to march boldly into truth, to, to follow Jesus on this path that he's on. You know, there's a lot of different times in my life I've had to just jump in with both feet. Becoming a disciple. You know, my, my friends from school had started uh, partying on the weekends and started kind of going down this direction where I couldn't hang out with them anymore. And I knew becoming a disciple, it was going to, those friendships would not be there anymore. And, I, and the teen ministry, there was no other teens my age. There was younger teens, but there was no seniors. Uh, I, this was, I became a Christian right at the end of my junior year. And there was nobody else my age. And so it, I knew it was taking a risk, but I, I knew this is worth it. I, I want to give my all to God. I want to surrender everything to God. I want to live for God. This is what I've been looking for. This is what I need is to be a disciple to make this decision. But it was, it was hard. Uh, there was times on Friday night, Saturday night, I'd be at home alone because there was nobody for me to hang out with. Because the, there was no teens my age. And then, you know, God worked and, and I got to hang out with the teen leader a lot and kind of follow him. And, and that's the way it works. You follow other people as they're following Christ. But it was a radical step. Moving to Colorado, I mean, moving from Colorado to California 18 years ago, I was asked to move here to, to help build this church, to be a part of a mission team. And at the time, I was engaged to be married. I hadn't finished school yet. It, you know, it, it was a big risk to pick up and move to a whole new place. But I did it because I wanted to, to please God. I wanted to do something radical. I wanted to step out on my faith. Going into the ministry was a risk because, you know, I wasn't sure. Would, would it work out? Would I be successful? I'm, I've got a successful job right now, a successful career. I'm taking a huge pay cut to go into the ministry. Is that going to work out? You know, how, how is God going to, you know, what if I fail? What if I'm a minister for 10 years and then I fail and then I got to try to start over with a career? You know what I'm saying? It was a risk. It was a risk. It's a risk right now. I feel like I'm, I'm wading into uh, the wilderness of preteen parenting. You know, the rocky wilderness of trying to learn how do I be a great preteen parent, a great teen parent. You know, there's all these steps in our life where, we, where we, we've got to step out on faith and we've got to lead. And then there's just the everyday things that we do. Sharing your faith, confronting sin, making the right choices, uh, and, and being on this trail. And when, when you step out on faith, and think about this. Think back, if you're a disciple, think about when you have stepped out on faith. Hasn't God come through every time? And what happens when you take that risk, when you jump in, you know, and you survive? And, and you see God move, then your faith gets stronger. And then you take another step of faith down that trail, and then your faith gets stronger. And it's a cycle where you just you, you, you build in your faith, you build in your confidence, and God gets the glory, not you. 
And that's what I think it means to be in step with the Spirit, that you're continually stepping out in faith. God's coming through. You're, you're praising God. Your faith grows. You step out in faith again and over and over and over again. We've got to strive for that. We can't shrink back in our faith, brothers and sisters. We've got to keep taking faithful steps on that pathway towards Christ. We've got to keep moving forward spiritually. You're not here because you are a member of an organization, because you, you know, enjoy the community and fellowship of brothers. You know, you are here because you want, you, you, you were impacted by this radical revolutionary hero, if you're a disciple of Jesus. You know, he just so impressed you, like, I've got to follow him. And we can't ever lose that. If we lose that, then we just become these religious people. Those were the people that Jesus came and confronted because they were going through the motions, but they lost the heart. Our hearts were meant to burn. And when you really follow the trailblazing Jesus, your heart is set on fire. The true Christian life is one of adventure. It's one of expedition. It's one of stepping out into the unknown and you seeing God move in incredible ways. You know, there's no dull moment as a disciple when you're living on the edge spiritually. You know, I want to challenge you, if, if, if you've been a Christian a long time and you feel like you're kind of going through the motions, take some kind of radical step of faith this week. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's asking a coworker to study the Bible. Maybe it's, um, you know, inviting someone to church you haven't invited yet. Maybe it's uh, uh, confronting someone that you need to confront. Whatever it is, some of the things we talked about tonight, make some radical step of faith. If you are our guests, if you're visiting with us, Get the Bible open with someone here and find out more about what I'm talking about. Find out more. What does it mean to follow Jesus practically? Steve said this in the meeting earlier, that what, what made him become a Christian was not hearing this stuff, hearing about Jesus, because he'd heard it before. It was seeing people that were actually doing it. It was seeing people that were actually, not just believed the stuff, quote-unquote, but really were trying to live it out. And that's who we are. We're really, we're not perfect, but we're really striving to live in this way, to follow Jesus ourselves and teach other people how to practically follow Jesus. Before we take communion, I want to uh, meditate on this verse here. Because Jesus is a trailblazer, because he's gone before us, he is able to relate to us. And there's two things the Bible says about communion. First of all, it's a time to remember Jesus. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So you remember him, who he was, what he stood for, all the things we've been talking about in this lesson. The second thing the Bible says to do when we take communion is to examine ourselves. And so if you do both, if you really remember Jesus and you think about who he was, and then you examine yourself, you always go, wow, I, I'm so far to go. I have so far to go to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to take it higher. But, man, I'm, I fall short. You, you have to, you know. If you really examine yourself, you're really honest with yourself. But that's, this is where he can understand us. Because look at this verse. It says, Jesus understands every weakness of ours. Because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness and we will find help. Jesus is a trailblazer and because of that, he's a perfect savior. Because he's already done it. He's already gone there. 
And so as we take communion, let's meditate on that. And, and we're going to leave this on the screen. You could maybe spend a little time just reading that over and really thinking about that. Let that hit your heart, that he wants to help. And he can relate to us. In... God, thank you that you have done the hard work. Thank you that Jesus has already blazed a trail for us. And thank you that he calls us to follow him. God, as we examine ourselves, we do find ourselves lacking. We do see that we've got so far to go. And yet, God, thank you that we have a perfect Savior. Thank you that Jesus sympathizes with us, that he understands what we've gone through, that he can help us in our time of need. Thank you for this bread which symbolizes his body that was given for us. And thank you for the fruit of the vine that's his blood that was given for us. And help us to uh, have a meaningful time of communion right now as we uh, take this together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.